The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. This is part 2. Um, this is an article from the New Yorker. It, it, it writes here, The production of art and entertainment for commercial reasons is an old story. What may be new is the elevation of this practice into a principle and the establishment of a system that's based on it. In classical political theory, the marketplace was a forum in which anyone who had anything on his mind could express it. According to this theory, the chain of events by which the public found out about the world began with the individual person looking out upon the world and reflecting on what he saw. Then perhaps after much labor, the person brought the product, bought, brought the product of his thought to the marketplace, there to be displayed with the work of others. And then the public picked and chose what it liked. Now that, that seems common. We see that operation throughout all of world history. But in the new system... This new time period, this new global uh, uh, connection that we have. Um, in the new system, the end of the chain has have been joined to form a closed loop. The individual, instead of looking out upon the world, looks out upon public opinion, trying to find out what the public would like to hear. Then he tries his best to duplicate that and bring his finished product into a marketplace in which others are competing to do the same. The public turning to our culture to find out about the world discovers there's nothing but its own reflection. The unexamined world, meanwhile, drifts blind into the future. So you see what he's saying here is we're not looking to the world to make evaluations and bring that back to the public. What we're doing is we're looking to the public to hear, to find out what it is that they want, what it is that the public wants to hear. And then we tailor our, uh, our speech or our, our, our spiel to that in order to gain the trust, the admiration, the money from the public. Worldview. It's such a huge thing. We hear it all the time. But this is one area, family, that we have absolutely got to make sure that we get right because it's so foundational to what it is uh, to be a Christian today. And it's also foundational to help us from being deceived, which was what Paul was wanting us to see in Colossians. He wants us to be full of wisdom and knowledge so that we are not deceived by well crafted arguments and this is the one place where it sneaks in it sneaks into worldview all the time and i'm going to show show you how because it seems today that many cultural anthropologists psychologists they struggle with this current phenomena of worldview distortion or even worldview misdirection many think that our worldview is misdirected and 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 not a reality but see this is what i think now, again, I'm not trying to compete with, you know, renowned cultural anthropologists or renowned psychologists. I'm not trying to compete with all of that stuff. But, you know, you, you, if you know me by, my, by now, I like to throw in my two cents. And, and here's the thing. The thing is, I, um, I think that what he's saying here and what people are actually doing is not a misdirected worldview. I think their worldview is right on the money. Well, but Shane, there's, there's problems. See, we're, we're reflecting on self. Yeah, people, uh, this is what I think. People are not looking at the world through distorted lenses. What they're looking at is themselves through distorted lenses. Meaning what? Meaning this. People are still focused on their worldview. They're still run by their worldview. The change today is this. The world has changed. People don't look at the world, they look at themselves. Why? Because we ourselves personally have become our world. You ever hear that saying, like, this person is a world unto himself? 
That's what I, I think our society has come to, where we're focused and we have a worldview, but the world has changed. We need to make some changes maybe in the dictionary and, you know, define person as world now. There is a worldview. It's just that the world has changed. And because they themselves on their, are their world, my world is not the thing that I stand on. My world is the person that I look at in the mirror. And because of so many different personalities, so many different dispositions, different upbringings, different culture, different socioeconomic uh, levels, uh, different demographics all over the world, different profiles, different ideologies, different identities, different special interest groups, the worldviews are so different, yet the worldviews are so pervasive. Again, that's how we see the world, and we wonder why. There's so much dissension in our world today. It's our spectacles, our worldview, it's our glasses, our lenses. It's how we see the world. Like I said last week, if our lenses are pink, then when we look at everything in the world through these pink lenses, what's everything in the world, what color is everything in the world going to be? Blue. <laughs> Who said that? Somebody hit him. Some, will you hit him? <laughs> see, and, and, and it's, it's how we see the world today. And family, th this is one of the things that I find very real in our churches today. <clears throat> and the, the, the issue that we see in our churches today is a real failure on our part to recognize the difference between having a biblical worldview and having a worldview that agrees with the Bible. This is a huge, big piece in the church today. A biblical worldview and having your own worldview, but it just so happens that most of what you believe agrees with the Bible. And therefore, we think that just because we agree with the Bible that we have a biblical worldview, when the reality is not. It's really subtle how, how this works. It's really subtle how, how, this, how this, um, this comes together. Remember I, how I told you, uh, I think I told you like several months ago, how do we know the difference when it comes to this stuff? How do we know about these things? I said, well, when you believe strongly about something, and I'm like talking about you believe strongly about something. My question is always, if, if you believe it, you should ask yourself the question, why do I believe that? And if you have a biblical worldview, you're going to be able to give a scripture as to why you do. Because I think that Christians, a lot of times, we believe strongly about things. But then just being devil's advocate, I'll ask, well, where do you get that from the Bible? Well, you, you don't have to get it from the Bible. Just, I just believe it. Yeah, but shouldn't your beliefs be based on Scripture if we have a biblical worldview? Well, I, I don't know what the Scripture is, but then you're, you strongly believe that that's right. Yeah, I do. Well, how come? Because I do? Family, this is how you know. If you believe strongly about something and you, can't, you cannot pinpoint a passage of Scripture to defend why you believe it, then you got that belief for some other for some other reason. But what happens if you have that worldview, but it, it just so happens to agree with Scripture? Do we just agree with the Scripture, or are we truly submitted to the Scripture? Because the question comes up all the time. What happens when the Bible says something that you don't agree with? And this is constant, family. This is constant. This is everywhere. What do we do as Christians if the Bible says something we don't agree with? Or what happens when the Bible says something that we don't like? Hmm. When we are trapped, uh, when we're trapped with this worldview, the worldview that's based on public opinion and self-centeredness, what we find is our thoughts, our desires, our opinions, and passions become the lens as to how we see and how we operate within our world. 
remembering that our world is actually ourselves, not really the world. And if Scripture happens to agree with us, then good. But if it doesn't agree with us, shamefully, and we see this all the time now, this is what we do. Either we just disregard it, or we say, this is a part of the Bible where we feel like God made a mistake. There, 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 just a little side note. There was a lady that really, like, she was very stern at my last church. She was very stern with me because I was preaching the, the story about uh, Mary and Martha, how they were having, uh, a, a, you know, the dinner with Jesus came and all that stuff. And, and, and Mary was listening to Christ. Martha was working, doing all this stuff, being a good host and all this stuff. And, and, and I was preaching on that and how Jesus says that what Mary was doing was the good thing. And this lady was so upset. She was, and, and, and Hawaii is very, you know, uh, very much like a hospitality type thing. It's you come over to our house, it's like a burden, you know, because we got to do everything we can to make sure that you feel welcome. It's just real hospitable. I, I think a lot of Asian, you know, countries are like that. You know, I'm not saying that we're not like that here in, in America, but we're not like that here in America. And... <laughs> right, well, okay, I... I'm trying to remind myself as a person born and raised in Hawaii that Hawaii is a part of America. <laughs> but most native uh, people from Hawaii are struggling with that issue right now, if you believe it or not. Um, uh, so, so what happens is, is, is she just got upset. And I'm telling her, but this was a sermon. It came from Scripture. And Jesus, God made flesh made this command and said this was the good portion. And she flat out told me, I think Jesus was wrong. I'm serious. Seriously. I, I, just, I, I think he's wrong. I think he's wrong there. <laughs> okay? So here's the thing. This is what happens. Obviously, this was something from Scripture that conflicted with her worldview. But yet she'll believe that she has a biblical worldview. But where you find this out is what happens when Scripture does something that you don't say something that you don't like, tells you to do something you don't want to do. What, what happens then? What happens then? You know, it, it's, <laughs> it's like, um, it's like when, 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 when pastors will talk to me and be like, oh, Shane, you know, revitalizing a church and all this stuff. He goes, you know, how do you deal with with, you know, churches that, that want to change. And I just said, oh, yeah, yeah, there's churches, they, they all want to make changes until they don't want to make changes. Whoa. Wait, did, did, did you just say what I think you said? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all willing to change. Not just churches, but just in life. We're all willing to change until we don't want to change. This is the worldview I'm talking about that we are focused upon self and desires. I had a close family member who was totally against abortion. Yay, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. You know, if you know me, I mean, this is just a really hard thing for me. You know, she was totally against abortion. And of course, you know, abortion, and you know, not in my opinion, I'm just saying it flat out, it goes against much in the scriptures. The question is, do you know which one? Because here was the thing, I said, you know, you are absolutely militant about being against abortion, and I applaud you for that. But do you know the biblical reasons why you should be? And she didn't. Not one scripture. Just, I just know that it's wrong. Well, okay, I get that, you just know that it's wrong, but do you have a biblical reason as to why? Because I, I want to say this, that there is something to be said about the law is written upon our hearts. So we're just going to know right and wrong. The question is, do you know? And do you know which ones? Sure, we have enough knowledge of God and his law implanted in us. Romans makes this very clear. Implanted in us, so much so that we are held without excuse. But it's not sufficient for that knowledge of God that's necessary. Family, we have got to know the scriptures. We've got to know it. How can we say... Okay, as, as modern evangel evangelicals today, we will say, we have a biblical worldview. How can we say 
that we have a biblical worldview in the church today when this is probably the most biblically illiterate Christian culture that has ever been in existence since the beginning of Christianity. Biblically illiterate. Christians, so many Christians, don't know anything in the Bible. But it's just phenomenal to me. And And I meet them all the time. I have conversations with them all the time. Even individuals that have been Christians their entire lives. And you ask them, you know, can you name one of David's sons? No. What about Solomon? Solomon's not one of David's sons. Uh, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's amazing to me, just, you know, all that stuff. Uh, the, the funny, that the one thing that the, uh, the White Horse Inn did, they went to a Christian conference and they were asking just simple biblical questions. Just, this is a Christian convention, a Christian conference asking, guy goes up, asks them questions, all this stuff. That's why I get nervous, go to these conventions and somebody comes up with a microphone and it's recording and they ask you questions, I get nervous. I'm like, oh, this is going to be on somebody's TV show or somebody's podcast, you know. So anyway, they do this stuff, and, and it was really funny. It was like they were just absolutely astounded. Then when they asked a simple question, like, can you tell me who it was in the Bible that was swallowed by the big fish, that the answer was Pinocchio. <laughs> we, see, we think, that's, we think that's funny because it is funny. Don't get me wrong. It is funny. But in reality, it's not. Right? And I, and, I, and, I, and I know, I'm believing that Reggie White is with the Lord right now. And I, I, I just, I really have a hard time talking about, you know, this stuff. But here's the deal. You guys remember Reggie White, right? Football player, ordained minister. He was an ordained minister, Reggie White. And I just, I, I, this, this, this totally shook me, shook me to the core. Did you, do you guys remember, uh, the, I, I think they still do it, Celebrity Jeopardy? It's Jeopardy, but it was just with celebrities and all this stuff, right? So this is the thing. Reggie White is on Celebrity Jeopardy, an ordained minister, and had been an ordained minister for a long time. Dude on the show in front of the millions of people that watched that show got every single Bible question or answer wrong. And the ones that were not Christians were actually getting the Bible questions right. How, I mean, it, it wasn't like, you know, explain to me like the five different tenets of superlapsarianism, you know, in theology, the fitness, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't questions like that, you guys. <laughs> you know, it wasn't questions like that. I mean, we were talking about like, you know, who was Abraham's firstborn son, you know, you know, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it was, it was that kind of stuff, family. It was biblical questions. The biblical illiteracy. So here's my thing. How can we say we have a biblical worldview if we don't know the scriptures? You see my point? So if we don't know the scriptures, it means that we don't have a biblical worldview. Therefore, we have a worldview. But what is it? What could that worldview be? I mean, see, here's the thing, and I, I find this, you know, a lot of times when I'm preaching and, and having conversations with people when I'm done preaching. When I'm preaching, like you guys are, some of you are doing today, are deciding whether you agree with this or not. Hmm, Pastor Shane's up there saying stuff. Do I agree with it? Pastor Shane's up there preaching the Bible. Do I agree with it or not? Hmm. Many of you might be going, well, you know what? I'm not doing that. I believe it's the Bible. I'm just trying to decide whether or not I agree with your interpretation of it. That's the other one. Hmm. Well, could it be that maybe the worldview that you have is it doesn't matter who's been given authority, even those who have been given authority by God. Nobody tells me what to do. Is that our worldview? The point is, we say we have a biblical worldview, but do we really? Or do we just have a worldview that simply agrees with the Bible on many parts, but not everything? I was, uh, I'll give you another example. Um, I was watching uh, the movie Soul Surfer. I think it's, it's a uh, movie about Bethany Hamilton. 
And it reminded me, uh, we had this big uh, pastor's conference when the Soul Surfer came out. Because, you know, uh, Bethany's from Hawaii, and so we're pastors in Hawaii, and we're dealing with this because Bethany's making appearances, you know, all this stuff. And the movie comes out. We have, to, we have to deal with a lot of things that were surrounding that, that whole thing. Now, again, this is not an issue with Bethany. This is not an issue with any of this stuff. The issue that was coming up all the time was that Bethany's youth pastor was a woman, a female pastor. Here we go. This is the kind of stuff that gets me in trouble all the time. So this is the, the conversation that we had. We're talking about all of this stuff. And you're like, oh, you know, this pastor, you know, I thought that, you know, we're not supposed to. And we're, we're talking about this. And this, is, this family is what I'm talking about. Even, even pastors in our culture don't have a biblical worldview. Because the issue was is, you know, I, we're, I'm making my statement. You guys know where I stand on this. Made my statement. You know, the Bible is super clear. It is absolutely, absolutely 100% super clear. You want to know the scripture? I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. It's the Bible. You, I, I don't, I, you, we can argue. This is, this is so plain. This is so plain. It is so obvious. And then what was shocking to me is the amount of guys that were just kind of like, well, but she really does do a good job, obviously. And, and I think that she actually, in a lot of ways, do better, a better job than a guy does. So I, I think it's okay. And, you know, women are, are, are good these days. They're really smart. They're all this stuff. I think it's okay for a woman to, to be. And so we're talking about and all this stuff. And it was just kind of like I'm sitting back there, and I finally said, okay, okay, time out, time out, guys. Let's, let me, let's talk about one thing. One thing. Let's one thing, make one thing very, very clear. All of you guys said a lot of stuff do a good job, she's smart, she's articulate, she's patient, she's all this, she did a really good job with Bethany, she counseled, all this, you guys all said all of that stuff. You guys realize that we've had a conversation, you guys have talked about this side of the issue for like a half hour, and I have a piece of paper and a pen to jot down how many passages of scripture you guys quoted, and I picked up the piece of paper like Amy Comey Barrett, you know, and picked it up, and it was completely blank. 30 minutes of talking about how we should be in support of this. Not one of you guys gave one scripture to defend it at all. And yet we're passionate about it. And we're strong about it. We'll make decisions about it. We'll stand by. We'll do all of these types of things. But not one passage of scripture. So again, this is not, I'm not telling you this because I'm, I'm trying to, you know, stir you up about, let's, you know, let's have a debate about whether women should be pastors or not. That's not what the point is. The point was, is that we had this debate and the whole time they were talking about their side and not one of them gave one passage of scripture. Do we use the Bible anymore? Hey, hey Jack, stop the tape really quick. I'm going to mention the name. i got to say this because I was just like absolutely appalled. You know, you guys can search this. I'm not lying. You can search this online. Andy Stanley actually came out and said. <laughs> okay, so somebody else saw this video too. He actually came out and said that we can believe in Christ. We can believe in all the tenets of Christianity, and we don't need the Bible. We don't need it. He says we don't need it. We need to disconnect ourselves from this. We don't need the Bible to defend. You look it up. Look and see. I, I know why he's doing this. I know, how, I know why he's doing this. But that, that's exactly what he said. So here's my thing. If you think it's possible for you to have uh, foundations for life and godliness without the Bible, then it's proving one thing super clear in what I'm talking about today. You don't have a biblical worldview then. You don't. And we walk around saying, oh, no, I, I walk in step with the truth of Scripture. I walk in step with the truth of the Bible. I'm with it. I'm all about the Bible. The Bible is my foundation. The Bible is my rock. The Bible is what I stand on, the words of God. But then you come right out and say that we don't need it, though, to actually be a Christian today? This, this, this is what I'm talking about. This is, what, this is how subtle this stuff is coming. This is how subtle it's sneaking in. And if we do this, then we start to pick and choose what we're going to follow in the Scripture and what we're going to reject in the Scripture. And we, as Christians, cannot do this. All Scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. Period. 
but it's pragmatism. Pragmatism. Cultural acceptance. So how do we remedy this? It's called knowledge and wisdom. And so let's take a look at it. Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have who've never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's, excuse me, God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that your light will continue to be a lamp to our feet, light unto our path. Because your word is more precious than gold, sweeter than honey. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at today is we're going to understand how wisdom and knowledge hidden in Christ is how we live and move with a biblical or Christian worldview. The second thing and the last thing we're going to see is how wisdom and knowledge will help us to not be deceived in our continuously confusing time with more and more deception to get more and more from us. And finally, seeing and celebrating the wonderful gift of God called faith in Christ. Our thesis statement today is this, though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to fall into deeper and deeper secular worldview, it is the truth found in the wisdom of God and the power of the Holy Spirit that will cause us to see the world through the lens of Scripture and a more abundant life in Christ. So point number one, the worldview. Uh, again, the Apostle Paul and Timothy here are writing this uh, letter to the Colossians, and they're addressing some serious problems that, uh, that they're having because of false teachers that are imposing bad teachings and the pressures of surrounding secular culture having an influence upon them. And so this is what we're talking about here, why this is serious. See, a lot of times I think that we today will look at false teachers and say, yeah, what they're saying is false, and, and we just don't think nothing of it. We don't rec actually recognize and realize how serious this is. In the book of Colossae, these false teachers were causing them to believe in things that they're going to go to hell for. And, and this is what my point is today. There are teachers that are out there today that are teaching things that if you believe it, you're going to go to hell. Seriously, you're going to go to hell for it. If you do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, uh, if you do not believe that Jesus came in the flesh, if you do not believe that Jesus was God while he was on earth, if you don't believe those types of things, the Bible says that you have no relationship with God. Guess where people who have no relationship with God go? This is not me. This is scripture. This is how serious this is. So this is why Paul is saying, you gotta, we got to get in there. We've got to make things abundantly clear. We have got to make things square. Okay? The supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ is being severely diminished in the, in the church in Colossae. People don't think that Christ is the ultimate authority, which our culture doesn't think that Christ is the ultimate authority today. People also are saying that Christ is important to have a good life, but he's not the only thing you need. That's what we hear a lot today, even from the churches. So the pressure was to gain wisdom and knowledge apart from Christ. That This was being taught by Gnostic and Hellenistic theorists, teachers, and they were suggesting that you can attain a fuller knowledge apart from Christ. Have Christ, yes, but you need to go other places to get the full knowledge of what you need to know. And, and I've heard people say this. Christians say this all the time. Yeah, I follow Christ, but, you know, it's, it's not just Christianity. I also explore other religions. I explore other things so that I can get the fullness of what it is to live. And I'm, listening there, I'm sitting there listening to some of them say these kinds of things, and the first thought that goes through my mind is Colossians. Man, boom, Colossians. It just comes right into my mind. Because what does Paul say here? All wisdom, not some wisdom, all wisdom and knowledge is found in who? In Christ. Only in Christ. It's the only place. So Paul and Timothy put everything on a halt. No, 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 no. The pursuit of knowledge and wisdom is an important one, but it is only found in the pursuit of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In whom all things, all wisdom, all knowledge is hidden in him. 
and in him alone. If, if, if Christ is all you have, if like I'm going to live, a, I'm living a godly life, if Christ is all you have, then you got more than you will ever need. And the apostle Peter agrees. Second Peter chapter one, verse three, second Peter chapter one, verse three, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him, the one who has called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Simply, if Christ is enough, this is, you know, I want you guys to, to, to bust out your, your college degrees. You know, I want, I want you guys to, to put your college mind on. I want you guys to get it because this is so absolutely uh, amazing. This just will blow your mind when you hear this. This is, this is so, so complex. It's so amazing. And when you hear this, watch this. You ready for this? If Christ is enough, then Christ is enough. Did that just blow your mind? <laughs> if Christ, if the Bible says that Christ is enough, then what does that mean? It means Christ is enough means if you are looking at Jesus and thinking, I don't know if Christ is enough, the Bible is saying, no, he is enough. So stop thinking that he's not enough. Think that he is enough, that Christ is enough. So if that's the case, here's the catch. If you feel that Christ isn't enough to accomplish your goals, then it's probably because your goals do not come in the line with what it means to live a godly life. If you don't think Christ is enough, then what you want is probably not godly. Ooh, man. Come on. Thank you, Frank. I'm laying it all out here today. In reality, if we are honest, when it comes to our worldview that's creeping into the church, we are not actually looking to live a godly life. What we're looking for is to find a prosperous life for my world. We're not looking to live a godly life in this world. We're looking for a prosperous life for my world. Do we believe that we exist to glorify God? Or do we believe that God exists to provide prosperity and freedom for me? See, answers to questions like this will reveal our worldview. Let's look at something. So today, we're not going to grade you all this stuff, but I want us to take a test. We're not going to write this down or nothing like that. I just, here's a quick test for us. Author Daryl Johnson, he's drawing inspiration uh, when he says this, that every worldview is asking and trying to answer the following nine questions. So he's going to ask nine questions that every worldview is asking. The test is, do you guys have answers to these? Question number one, what is what philosophers call prime reality? Or, better yet, what is really real? What's real? What's really real in our world today? Number two, who or what are we? What does it mean to be a human being? Is there, three, is there such a thing as morality, right and wrong? And if there is, how does one know what's good and what's bad? What is the meaning of history, or is there any meaning at all? Question number five, what's wrong with us? Because something is definitely off. What is it? Question number six, is there a solution? Can these things be fixed? By whom? How? How quickly? Question number seven, is there a God? And if there is, can this God be known? And is this God involved in the world? Question number eight, what happens to a human being at death? Question number nine, what time is it? Where are we? in the flow of history. So the question is, as I, I read those nine questions that every worldview is trying to answer, 
Do we have answers to those questions? And most of us will probably go, yeah, I got answers to all those questions. But here's the kicker. Do you have a scripture to back it up? <laughs> Ooh, Pastor Shane just took out the paddle and just went whoosh. <laughs> Can you back it up with scripture? If you can't, then it just showed you that your worldview is not biblical. Whoa. Whoa. See? So this is what I'm talking about. You know, I, I, I did this test, so, and I stuck with it, even though later on I thought of better scriptures. I just stuck with it. These are the immediate responses that I took. What is ultimate reality? Now, you guys know that I'm super bad with addresses, right? Uh, if, I, if I need to send you a Christmas card or something like that, you know, or I, I, Janine knows your address. I don't. I'm super bad with addresses, so especially when it comes to scriptures. So I know the scripture. I just don't know where it is. Okay, so, uh, I, you know, so I am definitely cheating because I went to go find what the addresses were when I did this. But the question, what is ultimate reality? First thing that came to my mind, John chapter 14, verse 6. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Whew. Ultimate reality. It's God. What does it mean to be a human? First thought went through my mind. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 27. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image. So what is a human being? A creature made in the image of God. We are image bearers of God. Right and wrong. Is there morality? Is there such a thing as right and wrong? Where do we get it? Family, so simple. All I went to immediately, the Ten Commandments. Right and wrong, and consequences for not doing right and doing wrong. Very clear. What's the meaning of history? This is a big question for us today. What's the meaning of history, the unfolding of, 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 of history? What, what, does it have a meaning? It absolutely has a meaning. What's the purpose of history then? The purpose of history is this. It is the unfolding of the word and work of Christ in all of history. John chapter 5 verse 39. John chapter 5, verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think in them they will give you eternal life, but it's they that bear witness to me. What does that mean? It means history has a meaning, and it's all about Christ. That's it. It's all about Christ. Every single thing you look at, read your history books, everything is the unfolding of God's plan to save man by his son, Jesus Christ. Absolutely everything points to that. Well, is, is there there's something wrong with us, Shane? There's obviously something wrong with us. Can you tell us what's wrong with us? What's the first question that dropped into my mind? Everybody, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what's wrong with us? We sin. <laughs> but here's the thing. Every worldview is asking this question, what's wrong with us? Every worldview is asking if there is a solution. And man, this is where I get excited. Ask me these questions. Why? Because the Bible says, is there a solution? Yeah, there's absolutely a solution. It's called, I passed on to you, most important, what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins. Is there a solution? Absolutely. And the solution, family, is the gospel of Jesus. Take your pick. Take your pick. Is there a God? Can we know him? Oh, this one is huge. First thing went through my mind, Romans chapter 1. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities and his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for knowing God. What does that mean? That means, you know, when we ask the question, is there a God? Can we know him? Absolutely. The Bible says there is a God, and the Bible says you know him. You absolutely know him. What happens to a human being after death? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. What time is it? Where are we in human history? 
we are right where we need to be. Ecclesiastes, for every season, first place I went, there is a time. Time for activity under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to harvest, time to tear down, time to build up, time to grieve, time to dance, time to search, time to quit searching, time to keep, time to throw away, time to, to, to be quiet, time to speak, time to love, time to hate, time for war, time for peace. In other words, we are one day further away from eternity and a day closer to infinity. And what does that mean? We are right where we need to be. We're right where we need to be, one day closer to the return of Christ. Period. This is what I'm talking about, the biblical worldview. When these questions are answer, asked, can we give a scripture? Do we know what the Bible says about this? Our motivation is the Bible, or is the motivation... Uh, I kind of feel like, you know, something's wrong with man. Oh, yeah, what, what's wrong with man? I, I kind of feel like there's something wrong with man. And this is kind of what philosophy sounds like. I, well, I, I feel like there is something that's not right with man. Yeah, that's the question I ask. What's wrong with man? Yeah, there's, there's, some, there's definitely things in mankind that's not right. Yeah, I know. That's what I just said. <laughs> what's wrong with it? That, I'm telling you, there's, not, there's something not right. This is, this is what happens all the time. <laughs> it's real. It's so clear. The scriptures are more than enough. The scriptures should be our motivation, all that we stand on. When questions come in regard to worldview, we must respond with the word of God. If we can't do this, I mean, but how can we do this if we don't know the word? As Christians, we don't take our cues from public opinion, social media, and network news. It comes from the Bible, you know, it's, it's, it's the thing, there's one quote that, from that lady that I was reminded of, I was talking to my mentor the other day, and we were reminded of this, that the question was asked uh, by this, this one lady, a famous lady, she's a writer and all this stuff, and, and they were talking about like news, and uh, she didn't have a TV, and they were just like, well, but if you don't have a TV, how do you watch the news? She goes, well, I don't watch the news. Why don't you watch the news? Just because I just don't feel like watching it. Well, how do you know what's going on with the world then? She goes, I don't need the news for that. I have the book of Ecclesiastes. And I kid you not, family, after I heard that quote, I've been doing that in my mind, thinking. Everything I watch in the news, Solomon addresses in Ecclesiastes. There's no reason to think that it's not going on. And there's no reason to panic because Solomon gave us the solution. And what's the solution? Taking on a, a, a moral, conservative worldview? No. Fear God and keep his commandments. But what are his commandments? It's in the word of God. Well, how will we know the word of God if we don't know the word of God? Christ is not, doesn't give us the word. Christ is the word. Christ is not, is not just the giver of wisdom. Did you know that Christ is actually God's wisdom? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. 1 Corinthians 1, 24. But those, to those called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Man, how can we say that Christ doesn't contain all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If we say that and we believe that, it's because you are looking for love in all the wrong places. Number two, don't be deceived. Last point, don't be deceived. The reason for knowledge and wisdom, Paul is saying this, Paul is telling us this. I want you to know that all the wisdom and treasure Everything that you need for fullness and life is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And Paul says, I am telling you this for one reason. And what was the reason? So that we will not be deceived. And I love how he throws in there. He, we won't be deceived by well-crafted arguments. 
you got to throw that in there, <laughs> right? Because when the arguments aren't well-crafted, it's not easy to be deceived, is it? But Jesus said that, right, that false prophets and all these guys were going to come and they were going to do things that were so amazing that it would deceive even the elect, if it were possible, but it would deceive even the elect. They're awesome. These things are so awesome. And these things work. Do you know how I know it works? Because I see it working. It's, it's there. They deceive with well-crafted arguments. They're out of abundance. See, the thing is, is that there are those that are out there deceiving with well-crafted arguments out there in abundance. And the job only becomes easier for them to deceive the more ignorant we are. The more ignorant we are, the easier it's going to be to deceive us, right? This is the thing that you need to understand. They are coming after you. Family, they are coming after us. It's not like they're looking and going, hey, you know, I'm going to quit. I'm going to give up. This is way too hard. No, 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 no. They're coming after us. Why, family? There is a lot of money to be made in Christianity. A lot of money. They will make up lies and say things that are not true in order to get money. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. Seriously. They're already talking about that stuff. They're coming after you. They're going to make up lies to get a hold of your money. That's what they want. They want to get it. And you know what's funny? They are getting it. They're getting it. It's, it's phenomenal how this stuff is working and how, and how they say, hey, Jack, one more time. Sorry. I, Jack's over there sleeping. I got to wake him up, right? It's, it's working. How do I know it's working? Because the peddlers of all of these things are living in $100 million homes, $10 million homes. One private jet's not enough. They got to have three. What do you need three private jets for? I, I'm still scratching my head over that. Why do you have to have three private jets? Number one, you shouldn't even have one. But you got to have three. And ministers saying, hey, you know what? <laughs> and, I, and I know this is controversial, but you know what? If you don't give money so that I can save my university, God's going to take me home. There was a million... Uh, uh, millions, of the, uh, the last I heard, this is, you know, I didn't fact check it, but millions of dollars went to a ministry because the pastor or the leader of this ministry, she, <laughs> she, she told them that the Day of Atonement is coming, right? Do we know the Day of Atonement was Good Friday, right? So we just had it. The Day of Atonement is coming. And on the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, you had to sacrifice an animal and bring a sacrifice to the temple so the priest can sacrifice it for you so that God will forgive your sins. And so, so people, we have sinned so much. And we need, to, we need to do this. This is the Day of Atonement. This is the time, Good Friday. This is what we need to do. We need to make sacrifices. But see, here's the problem. Killing animals today in your home, you can't do that anymore. That's against the law. So you can't sacrifice animals today. But you know what you can sacrifice? You can sacrifice money. This is what you do. You send money to this ministry right now, and we will pray that God will forgive your sins, and that when we receive that money, he will atone for your sins, and you will find forgiveness. Millions of dollars came in to the ministry. That is an absolute 100% lie from the pit of hell, and enough people were deceived that would bring millions of dollars into the ministry. They're believing it, family. We're believing it. They're doing it. This is happening. People are giving money. Do you know why this is a lie and why this is an absolute offense? Because my day of atonement happened once and for all on one day. It was called Good Friday when Jesus shed his blood on the cross. That was the sacrifice God needed. That was the sacrifice God wanted. All my sins are already washed away. It's a lie. People are believing this. Here's the other thing when it comes to this stuff. You can turn back on. 
This is for, for Mother's Day. I was thinking I had to throw something in for Mother's Day. I'm going I'm to show you how moms are deceived. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Many times, they come from well-crafted arguments, from trying to build churches on pragmatic principles. Seriously. Like, there's churches, a lot of the big churches, the pastors that I know that I'm friends with that have big churches. They're not going to say anything. They, you, they, absolutely, my friend, he has a church of like 3,000 people. He is absolutely not going to preach a sermon like this on Sunday. He's not preaching the sermon today. <laughs> he not. I, you know, when I see him next, I'm going to you know, choke him out with the jujitsu I've been learning. But, you know, less we offend, the more accepting of all the people and their belief because we don't want to turn them away. And so this week, this week was a huge week for this family because what was the big deal in the news was the whole abortion thing going on with you know, overturning Roe versus Wade and all this stuff. So the whole abortion thing comes up again. And, and this week I heard arguments like this that many in the public were saying that the main point of being pro-abortion, why, the, why they're saying we're pro-abortion, has nothing to do with killing the person. Did you know this? This is huge because they say it has nothing to do with whether this is killing a person or not. You guys are talking about we're killing a person, you're killing a human being. They're saying this has nothing to do with it. What is the point of the whole agenda? The whole point of the whole agenda is this. The woman has the right to make a choice to do what she wants to do when it comes to her body. This is what I'm hearing. This is what they're saying. This is the reason why they're saying it's okay to, to kill babies. Kill babies, cut their heads off, all of this stuff. This, this is hugely violent thing that they do. And you have the right to do this because you should have the right to make a choice for your own body. What do we do with this? The conservative camp has come in. We heard it. I heard it on the news. I heard it. I heard, I've been watching it on the news. They're like, oh, yeah, that's not true. Well, well why? Just because it's not. A, a woman's body belongs to God, and she needs to do what God wants. That's it? It doesn't sound like scripture. It sounds more like public opinion is what you're giving. And so a lot of these guys got busted. The, the conservatives are busted. And so when we ask why... A lot of Christians are just like, well, because, because, it's just, because it's just not right. Well, why? Because. You know, we just supported May the 4th be with you. It's like Jedis, right? We, we practice the Jedi mind trick. Why is it wrong? Because. Because it is. Just wave your hand. Because it is. Oh, yeah. That's a good, that's a good answer. How do we know? And then one guy actually said, it's, it's just common sense, people. Do you realize that when people say it's just common sense, it, they're acknowledging the fact that they just lost the argument? When you appeal to common sense, you lost. So, Shane, are you saying that the scripture is clear that a woman doesn't have the right? The scripture is absolutely clear that a woman doesn't have the right. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4. For the wife does not have authority over her own body. Oh. Oh. Hold on. That was shocking. The Bible actually addresses this. It says it right there. The wife does not have authority over her own body. Who has authority? The husband does. Oh, yeah. But, but, likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body. The wife does. So wives, the next time you want your husband to get a haircut, you quote this passage of scripture. It's pretty clear. I'm glad you asked because seriously, there it is right there. But what if she's not married? Numbers chapter 3, verse 3 to 5. Numbers chapter 30, verse 3 to 5. Watch this. If a woman, young woman, makes a vow to the Lord or a pledge under oath while she's still living in her father's home, and her father hears of the vow or pledge and does not object to it, then all her vows and pledges will stand. 
But if her father refuses to let her fulfill the vow or pledge on the day he hears it, then all her vows and pledges will become invalid. The Lord will forgive her because her father would not let her fulfill them. What does that mean? It means the father has the authority to nullify any pledge, any decision, any vow that the, that the daughter makes even to God. The father has a right to squash it. This is not me. It's not me. I'm not up here trying to give you guys what I think is public opinion because this isn't good public opinion. This is not good you know, policy. This is not politically correct. This is just scripture. And what do we do? You'll listen to this and go, man, I don't like that. What are you going to do? If you have a biblical worldview, you only have one choice. But maybe your real worldview is stepping in and saying, no, 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 I do have a choice. I don't need to agree with that. I don't agree with that. No, you know what? I decided I don't agree with that. That's the part of the Bible that wasn't, that wasn't written by God. That was written by man. Some, pro-abortion or some pro-lifer got that scripture in there. This is how we take care of it with scripture. And in our ignorance, our ignorance, we co- it continues to affect and continues to affect our worldview. Steve's talking to you, so I couldn't get your attention. But Shane, how do you know there's ignorance of the scripture? How do you know? You know, one of the things, there's, there's so many different reasons, but I want to square in on one because me and my sister were having a conversation about this for hours. One of the things that gives me a glimpse when I'm talking to an individual as to whether, number one, they know scripture, number two, whether they're surrendered to, surrendered to scripture is this whole phenomena that's going on in Christianity today and it's always that the statements that are made are always started with God told me. I get this all the time. God told me that I need to blah, 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 blah. God told me that this needs to. This is the one thing, family, that triggers in your mind. Number one, that they're not familiar with the scripture. Number two, they're not submitted to it. God told me stuff. God told me. Because I, I had one individual, we were talking about this, one individual comes up and says, hey, you know what? I'm, I was walking and God told me that I need to give that poor person standing there, God told me I need to give him money. And I said, yeah. He told me that too when in the Bible he said, remember the poor. Well, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. But Shane, you know, sometimes, you know, my, my pastor got up there and said, he got in front of the pulpit and he says, you know what? God told me that we need to concentrate and focus on evangelizing our community. And I said, God told me that too when he said to go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples. Well, well but, but God told me, this is a person that I don't like. This is, a, this is a person who's, who's really mean to me, but God told me in my prayer time that I need to love that guy. Yeah, well, you know what? God told me that too when he said to love your enemies. Do you see my point of what I'm trying to make? It's, it, it's there in Scripture. It's there in Scripture. And here's the thing. When I ask the individual, well, when God tells you to do things, is, he, is it always right? Oh, no. I, I, you know, sometimes I really miss it, man. Sometimes I think I hear God, but sometimes I don't. So what would you say? You think maybe 70% right? I would say maybe when God tells me things, maybe I'm 60 to 70% right. And I told him, he's a basketball fan, so I'm all, we're all in a basketball. We talk about analytics all the time. You know, so you always go with percentages, the analytics, you go with the higher percentage, all that stuff. I said, you know what? That's really funny because when God tells me things, I am 100% right. Because it's what the Bible says. 
It's the Bible. So why would you trust a method of, of doing stuff? Just taking a chance that you might have heard, this might have been it, when chances are it's already, God already told you to do it. It, it may take a chance and, and all this stuff when we're just can be motivated by doing this. Hey, you know what? I've always, my mentor has always said, hey, Shane, you know what? When it comes to the God told me stuff, man, if you just do, if you just concentrate on doing what the Bible tells you to do, you are not going to have time to ask God what I should be doing right now. Just do what the Bible tells us to do, and you're not going to have time to do anything else. You don't need to be sitting there all idle going, hey, God, I want to do something for you. Can you tell me to do something? You don't need that. And here's the other thing, the, the main thing that I think. Why is it that if you already know God wants us to evangelize, why does it need to be God telling you something in order for you to be able to do it? Why does it have to be something that we experience? Why does it have to be that? Why can't we just do what God tells us to do in his word? Because we think that this is more important than that. Because that is not really my worldview. This is. It's an appeal to emotions, appeal to our passions, appeal to our feelings. That's what we are. We're run by our feelings today. We're run by it. I mean, I, I ask people right and wrong all the time. Let's, let's, can you tell me why this is wrong? Well, because I don't like it. This is an answer I get constantly today. Do that. You should try that. You know, it's Mother's Day. You guys are going to hang out with relatives that you don't want to be with, right? So. Oh, you know what? Don is going to help you with that after service, okay? I promise. Um, wait, what was I saying? Oh, I'm talking about relatives that we don't want to be with, right? All right, all right, all right. Ask them the question. When it comes to things right and wrong, like ask them right and wrong questions, like do you think abortion is right? Do you think abortion is wrong? Do you think, you know, the, the riots that was right, riots wrong? You know, do you think that our president's doing a good job? You know, all this kind of stuff. Ask it. And then ask him, well, that's not actually a right or wrong question. But ask them right or wrong questions. And you know what's really phenomenal to me is how many people make decisions uh, in their lives as to what's right and what's wrong based on what they like and what they don't like. It's right. Well, why is it right? Because I like it. Well, that's wrong. Well, why is it wrong? Because I don't like it. Seriously. So people, I was having another conversation with a person on abortion. They believe that abortion is wrong. I'm like, yay, great. Why do you believe? Because I don't like it. I was just like, whoa, it happened even here. Seriously. People believe things are right and things are wrong today based on what they like and what they don't like. It is, yeah, amen. It is a phenomena. It's absolutely amazing. Gone because of the worldview is the virtue of self-sacrifice. Self-sacrifice. I mean, you know, so, sometimes for me, like lately for me when I'm doing my sermons and there's things I got to concentrate on, uh, I, I got to have distract. Before it was bad. I couldn't have distractions. Like I needed to be in my room, nothing, all this stuff. But now for some reason, I don't know if it's age or what, but I got to have distraction. Like things have to be happening. So I have to have the TV on all the time. If I don't have the TV on, I can't concentrate. It's so weird. So anyway, I'm, I'm doing this. So I'll watch Soul Surfer. And then I also watched this one movie about how these people have to make sacrifices or it's going to be the end of the world. And at the end of the movie, they were just kind of like, well, I guess it's going to be the end of the world. Because if they think I'm going to jump off that cliff, they've got another thing coming. And I just kind of thought, like, seriously, like, that's not seen as virtuous anymore. But, I mean, self-sacrifice. Like, I'm going to lay down my life, my one life, to save millions. Even in, in, in our culture today, it's not seen as virtuous anymore. What's seen as virtuous is this individual stood up and said, you know what, my life is more important than the millions that are out there. Yay? Gone is self-sacrifice. Leaders no longer sacrifice for the people they lead. Instead, they rob them. Husbands no longer sacrifice for their wives like Christ sacrificed for the church. And then we wonder why we have relational problems today. 
parents don't sacrifice for their children. They abandon them. And, so they, and then parents are shocked when kids abandon them. Friends no longer lay down their lives for their friends in ultimate sacrifice. We no longer have relationships based on care and sacrifice. What we have are limited liability partnerships. And as long as this relationship is helping me, we're good. But the minute it's not, forget it. But as Christians, the Bible, if we have a biblical worldview, then we are called to one thing very important. Sacrifice. This is what it means to have a biblical worldview. What it means to have a Christian worldview. Our attitude should be that of Christ. We are to consider others as better than ourselves. Weakness in life means grace from Christ, and that's true strength. Wisdom and knowledge is worth so much more than gold and rubies. And we, if we are full of the word of God, then in our eyes, God will look upon us and say, you are rich. Life is death. Rich is poor. Hot is cold. To get in, you got to have nothing. To get out, you got to have everything. But this is the norm of biblical Christianity. And if this ideology is foreign to you, if it bugs you, it's probably because your worldview is not biblical. God asks us to do things that are so contrary to what our culture wants and what our culture says. So when people are saying, like, you know what, Shane, Christianity is hard, man. I'm constantly swimming upstream. It's like I'm always going against the world. <laughs> yeah, the world killed our Lord. <laughs> of course they don't want to do what Christ wants to do. But family, what good is it to gain the whole world but lose your own soul? This is problematic for us because of this thing called sin. And sin is that thing that so easily besets us. It affects us all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is not a person on earth who always does good and never sins. This scratches our lenses, distorts our view, causes us to fall in all kinds of deception. And family, we may be guilty of that today. Many of us were sitting here going, yeah, Shane, you know what? I don't have a biblical worldview, man. I, I, I'm sorry. Well, you know what the good news is? There's forgiveness for us today. There's forgiveness for us in the blood of Christ today. Because Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance of Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord today shall be saved. Salvation is here. And it's found only in Christ and in Christ alone. Thank you for listening. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.